The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the, jo- the Jordan Valley and let journeyed east. And Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot has separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. So that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Let's all pray. God, I thank you for this moment, Lord. We acknowledge your presence in the midst of us. Father, I pray that you open up our hearts and our minds as we receive your words through Randall. May you lead the discussion, Lord. May you lead the the lessons for today, God. And as we go out there, may we recognize you and what you're trying to tell us. We thank you for your son, Jesus. Be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Hey, good morning. It's almost not morning anymore. All right. Um, well, if this is your first time here, welcome. My name is Randall, um, and you know I'm, I'm the lead pastor. Uh, today it's it's the second week that we've had two services, so um, it's it's kind of cool. You know, it's kind of that feeling of, wow, this is something new. And as I was telling the first service this morning, that um, it kind of feels like when we planted the church around three and a half years ago, it's just kind of that like, wow, 
kind of a neat thing. Something new's happening. And um, so we all get to be a part of that this morning. So I appreciate you being here at the 11 o'clock service. And uh, we're going to be continuing in our series, um, The Gospel in Genesis. Um, we're looking at the life of Abraham. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn to Genesis 13, 1 through 18. Uh, before you jump in real quick, um, you know, some of you right now, you're, you're coming and God is new. And so God is this new thing. And so you're exploring, you're searching. And, um, and so I've, at the resource area, we have a, a free book for you. Um, it's actually two in one, uh, The Reason for God and The Prodigal God. And so I think this could be really helpful in your faith journey if you are searching and really exploring your faith or if you know some people. And so this is all free at the resource area. And so I want to encourage you to grab that. And then also one thing, as we open up our Bibles this morning, um, I heard this statistic that said that, um, you know, when, when, when we grow in our faith, when we grow in our relationship with Jesus, um, that hands down above anything else, the way that you grow is through reading the Bible personally, through personal Bible reading. Okay, and so from the very beginning of the year, we've been encouraging you to um, bring your Bibles, to read your Bibles. And so we have the CBR journals that we gave out. So if you need one, want one, want to get on that plan, we've got it online. We can get you one. Um, But we're encouraging us as a church body to be in the Word of God. Because this is where your relationship with Jesus Christ is going to grow, okay? And so um, just a couple announcements before we jump in today. Uh, so we're in Genesis 13, 1 through 18. We're looking at the life of Abraham. And uh, here's what we talked about last week. We talked about this call that came into his, to his life. And so we meet Abram. Uh, Abram, meaning father, eventually becomes Abraham, father of many. Um, but we meet him in Genesis 12. And he wasn't expecting this call of God to come into his life. He wasn't expecting it. Right? But God breaks through and says, okay, I I, I want a relationship with you. And I want you to leave everything. And so what does he do? He does it. He goes. And so all he has is this promise. And and so today we're going to continue in the story of uh, Abram. And uh, here's the message. The pursuit of more. The pursuit of more. Let me ask you a question. As we think about calling, we talked about that last week. What's your guiding voice in life? What's your guiding voice in life? In 2018, the New Yorker magazine ran a a cover story entitled, I Used to Be a Human Being. And it's written by a man named Andrew Sullivan. And, And here's what he said. He says, An endless bombardment of news and gossip and images has rendered us manic information addicts. It broke me. It might break you too. He continues, every single minute on the planet, YouTubers, uh, YouTube users upload 400 hours of video and Tinder users swipe profiles over a million times. You say there are literally billions of Facebook likes. Online outlets now publish exponentially more material than they once did, churning out articles at a rapid-fire pace, adding new details to the uh, news every few minutes, blogs, Facebook feeds, Tumblr accounts, tweets, and propaganda outlets repurpose, borrow, and add Tospin to the same output. You probably felt it. There are constant bombardments of voices advertisements, news, more that are coming into your life on a daily basis. 
It's immediate. When you wake up in the morning, the first thing when you pick up your phone, there is something there. It's trying to tell you something. It's a voice. And all of these voices are trying to pull us in one direction or another. Trying to pull us in one path or another. See, many times what happens is if it's not just those constant bombardments of social media and news and all those things, for us it's people, maybe it's parents, family, friends, leaders, friends, uh, groups, uh, voices that are coming in. Maybe, maybe you're more independent and so you say, man, it's just me listening to my gut. It's my gut feeling. It's, it's that thing that's inside of me, that, that voice that tells me which way to go. But here's the thing, you and I face constant obstacles in life. And we listen to voices telling us to go one way or another. We all need a voice to guide us. And like I talked about last week, for Abram, his guiding voice in life was God. His guiding voice was, was the call of God that, that, that initiated, was initiated by God. And so he had this initial calling. But then what we also see is that it wasn't just that initial calling, but he needed constant callings again and again and again. Because he needed reminders that would bring him back to God when he left. That would help recenter him in his life when he put himself first. See, it was the call of God that brought him in, but there are constant calls that God brings into his life because he needs it. And so that's what we see in Genesis 13, 1 through 18, is God is, is calling him back again. See, we have to understand the setting here. Now, in Genesis 12, it starts with that radical call that we all know about and we talked about last week, which was purely by God's grace. Right, purely by God's grace. But it was Abram to take this massive leap of faith to leave everything behind for a promise that, that God would give him a people in a land that he hadn't seen yet. And like we said, he did it, but, but we need to understand this. He took this huge step of faith, but it wasn't seamless and it wasn't easy. And that's relatable for us today. Right, because there are steps of faith. There's, a, there's things that you are called to do when you're putting a foot out in the dark and you don't know what's going to happen. And it's not going to be seamless or easy to do it. Because later, what we see in chapter 12 is that reality hits in Abram's life. And there's a famine that comes on the land. And so instead of trusting God and staying right where he was at, he takes a detour into Egypt. And instead of trusting in God, he trusts in Pharaoh. And what happens is it exposes his fears, his anxieties, his worries, and his shallow character. His shallow character. Like we talked about before, when we look at people throughout the scriptures, we can try and lift them up and act like that they were not human, just like you and me, but that they were like superhuman. But what we find out is that they're not. 
Again, if you really read the details of Genesis, you're going to be sorely disappointed if you are putting people in the scriptures on this pedestal. Because the only one that deserves to be on that pedestal is God. It's God. God is the hero time and time again in Abram's life. And so we see as Abram goes to Egypt, is that his character? It shows. And so when he's pressed, he lies. You see, Genesis 12, 10 through 20 is in stark contrast to 12, 1 through 9. We have his call in 1 through 9, but then his character is revealed in 10 through 20. Walter Brueggemann says this about that text. He says, it presents Abraham as an anxious man, a man of unfaith. He's ready to secure his own survival because at this point he does not trust exclusively in the promise. The text indicates that the temptation of unfaith comes immediately after his best resolve to faithfulness. Don't you find that that happens time and time again as we we make these huge resolves of this is who I'm going to be, this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to follow you, God, and then all of a sudden we take a couple steps back because reality hits us? See, Abram started listening to other voices other than the call of God. And the voices of fear, anxiety, and worry started to take over. This is important because as we get to Genesis 13, we find a man who has failed. He's failed. He stopped listening to God and he started listening to those other voices. So what we find out is this. How does a person of faith deal with failure? Deal with failure. How does he get back on track? That's what Genesis 13 is about. And the narrative breaks down in three ways. And so let me give you all three up front. This is what we're going to see throughout the text. But it's this. It's number one, it's the return. It's the return. Number two, it's the test. Number three, it's the path. The return, the test, and the path. And so first, the return. Look at verses three and four. It says, from the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. What's happening here? Well, this in many ways is Abram starting over. It's him coming back to square one. It's the foundation of his faith. So you can look at, look at verses three and four. It's, it says that where his tent had been earlier is where he went. Where he had first built an altar. Gordon Wenham on this text, he says, the narrator is surely suggesting that Abram is trying to recapture his previous experience of God. He's thinking back on that moment and trying to say, I I remember what it was like to be in relationship with God, to hear his voice. 
See, what's, what's he calling to God for? He's calling to God because as we see in Genesis 12, God is a relational God. And so now he's calling to God for grace and forgiveness. Grace and forgiveness. Psalm 37, 23 through 24 tells us this. It says, the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. What's happening in Abram's life? Well, he stumbled. He stumbled. And so what we would chalk up to a failure in the eyes of the Lord is stumbling. But the interesting thing about that text and what it tells us about God is this, that he will not fall. See, he doesn't face plant. One of the things when you, when you type in in YouTube, just fail. <laughs> we love watching those videos, don't we? It's just video after video of just face plants, just, every, just bad decisions, right? Like all over, again and again. So the thing about God is he's not replaying your fail over and over and over again and laughing. But what it says is that he comes to us when we stumble and he lifts us up. He upholds us with his hand. See, that's a relational God. That's a God that, that when we return, like, like we see in Abram, when he returns to God, he receives kindness and grace. Kindness and grace. Ian DeGid wrote about this. He says, people of faith fail, just as others do. The difference is that when they fail, they do not, or they do not fall because they return to the Lord in repentance, calling on his name and seeking forgiveness. You know, yesterday I was just having one of those days. I mean, you know, those, those days where you're just like, you're just out of it. And my wife looked at me and she's like, you're angry. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm just, I'm just focused. You know, I'm just really focused right now. Not really angry. Um, and, and I was. I was just acting like a brat. And the thing is, you know, at the end of the day, kids are out watching a movie with my wife. And I just said, I just need some space. And I just went into the room by myself, opened up, read Psalm 12, and just prayed. <laughs> see, see, people of faith fail. We fail. But we don't fall because we can come back to the Lord, our foundation. Right? And so what he's doing here is he's returning to the foundation of his life. The foundation of his life. The second point is this. It's the test. It's the test. It's found in verses 5 through 11. It says, Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, 
also had flocks and herds and tents, but, but the land could not support them while they, they stayed together for the possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose among Abram's herders and lots. Canaanites, Perizzites uh, were also in the land at the time. Basically what that means is just like there's a lot of people, right? A lot of, lot of, lot of things going on here. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine. For we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the, the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. And so Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan set toward the east, the two men party company. And so there's a few things that's happening here. All right, we see Abram returning to his relationship with the Lord and saying, I need God, that God is the foundation of my life. Now we see the test come. This is when the, the rubber meets the road, right? And so we remember, like, what happened last time. Failed. He's facing another test. And so what this is, is a, it's a crossroads. It's a crossroads in his relationship now with Lot. Uh, verse, verses six and seven talk about that. And so it says basically that their possessions were growing. Things were happening. If, if, if we were to look at it from, from our perspective, it's like everything is going up and to the right. He's successful. Things are happening. And so what does he do with that? You know, there's a, there's a, a quote by... Timothy Keller, one of the things he says is, it says, um, when we fail, we need God's grace. But when we succeed, we need his grace all the more. Why? Because what could happen here, like many of us, is that when things start to grow, when, when success starts to happen, ego in the head starts to grow as well. It starts to grow. And so there's this huge temptation now where he's at this crossroads. Things are happening. He's already got this promise that God says, hey, things are going to go well for you, Abram. And so now it's his heart check. It's, an, it's a heart check for Abram. And it's a heart check for Lot. And so here's what's happening. Abram's heart is seen in verses 8 and 9. You see at first when he says, let's, let's not quarrel. Let's not quarrel between you and me. He says, we are close relatives. And then he does something next. He says, if you go left, I'll, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. Now, first, what's happening here is Abram is putting the relationship between him and Lot before the possessions. He's putting his relationship before the possessions. He's saying, again, we're, we're close relatives. This is, this is important. This is relevant for us. We need to hear this because in 2010, uh, the New York Times had an article. And here's what it, enti- it was entitled, Friendship in an Age of Economics. And uh, Clemson University professor Todd May describes uh, today's re- friendships in economic terms. He says, uh, as consumeristic and entrepreneurial, 
So the way that we look at relationships within our culture, very individualistic societies, we, we chalk them up to consumeristic or entrepreneur. Here's how he describes that. He says, consumeristic friendship is the kind of uh, friendship that consumes to satisfy their own emotional needs or physical desire. He says the entrepreneurial friendship is the, the one where you invest in it to derive a future, external benefit, maybe a job offer. He says this type of thinking the way that we view relationships and friendships has moved from the business world into our everyday world. What this is, is abusing relationships. And Abram could have broken this relationship with Lot by saying, you know what? It's going to be my way or the highway. I'm going to get to choose And whichever way I choose, because I have the promise of God, I'm going to choose, and you go the other way. But here's what he does instead. This was the test. He tells Lot to choose where he would go. And this is radical for the ancient world, because do you remember, Lot is Abram's nephew. Very easily, Abram could have said, I'm in charge. But he doesn't do that. He says, you choose. He's humbly submitting to Lot. This was a test of his heart. Okay, this was a test of his heart. And then what we see in verse uh, 10 through 11, it says, we, we, we see Lot's heart. We see Lot's heart. And so verse 10, uh, Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. As we look at this text, there's some indicators here. uh, Hebrew scholar Robert Alter said that the way that this text is structured is that the focus is on Lot and and really what it is that the writer is trying to tell us what's going on in the heart of Lot. What's going on inside of him? See, it's that when Lot looked over the plain of the Jordan, his, his thought was this. It's like the garden of the Lord. It's like the garden of the Lord. It's not the garden. Of the, it's like it. Right? That's, that's the key right there. It's, it's like it. It's, it's not the garden of the Lord. It, it's like wanting the garden without the Lord. Because then he compares it to Egypt. Which many times throughout the, New, the Old Testament, what we'll see is that Egypt is this place where it's far from God. It's away from God. See, what we see is that Lot is looking in the land and saying, this is my big break. This is my big break. And as one preacher put it, there there was something spiritual going on in the heart of Lot. There's something spiritual going on in there. You see, what, what is it that's going on in his heart, in his mind? It's this. It's the same thing that we do. It's, it's, it's this, that if I had this, fill in the blank, my life would be complete. 
my life would be complete. That's the test. That as he looked at the land in front of him, he said, this is all I need in life. See, is it the job? Is it the house? Is it the marriage, relationship? The kids, the education? What is it? See, it's that little voice that tells us, it whispers to us like it did Lot, this is what you need more than anything. This thing will complete your life. It'll make your life worth living. And like Lot, some of us are willing to sacrifice. And what he sacrificed was relationships with God, with others. See, we're willing to put those things on the line and that's the test. On January 2nd, 1990, Cynthia Heimel, who she knew a lot of different celebrities, she wrote this uh, article in the Village Voice. It's talking about the emptiness of fame. And here's what she wrote. She says, I pity celebrities. No, I really do. Sylvester Stallone, Bruce Willis, and Barbara Streisand, which she knew, were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. You see, Sly, Bruce, and Barbara wanted fame. They worked, they pushed. In the morning after each of them became famous, they wanted to take an overdose. Because that giant thing they were striving for, that that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness had happened and they were still them. You know what's going to happen to Lot? He's going to go into the land that he thinks, this is where my life is complete. And it just, it's devastating. It's devastating. Here's what it is. It was the test. So lastly, it's the path. The path. Uh, Look at verses 12 through 18 as we finish out. Abram uh, lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around uh, from where you are to the north and south to the east and west, all the land that you see I will give you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. Down in verse 17, go walk through the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. Do you see the two paths here that are breaking out in front of us? We see Lot's path found in verses uh, 12 through 13. It said that Lot lived among the cities of the plain. He pitched his tents near Sodom. And we find out about Sodom. It gives a little bit of a description, a, a, a caption of what Sodom was like. He says, now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. And so that's what he chose to be near. And here's what happens a lot. You see, we won't do a study on his life, but, but if you want to know more about him, you can look at Genesis 14, 18, and 19. We're, we're really focusing on Abraham. Um, but his path is a downward spiral of compromise, strife, and loss. One theologian says this. He says, Lot, when he fancied he was living in paradise, was nearly plunged in the depths of hell. 
And so that's what's happening in his life. As Lot listens to his heart, he draws farther from God. You see, his path starts in verse 12 by being near Sodom, but then uh, 14, in, in chapter 14, verse 12, it says that he was living in Sodom. And then 19.1 says he was sitting in the gate of the city. You know what that means? He's basically taking on leadership position there. He's taking on a leadership position within the city. And so what happens is he progressively goes further and further into the life of the city. Gordon Wenham um, says this, what was viewed as a great step forward was to be his ruin, for these cities were destined to destruction. And then we see Abram's path. It's found in verses 14 through 16. It says, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look, look around from where you are to the north and south, the east and west. All the land that you, you will see, I will give you and your offspring. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. Here's the thing. As Lot is trying to figure out his future and trying to make his own plans, Abram is resting in God and saying, okay, God is coming to him and saying, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make these things. I'm, I'm going to do these things in your life. Right? He's resting in what God could do, not what he could do. And what does he find out as he rests in God? Well, he find, finds that as he follows God's path, he sees God shows him the promised land. You see it in verse 14? He says, look around where you are. Look around. All the land that you see, I will give you. See, this is something that he didn't know in chapter 12. So as he's following God on this path, he's finding out more. He hears. God tells him about his offspring. He says, you and your offspring, they'll be here forever. So I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth. And then lastly, it says that uh, he experiences God because God tells him, he says, okay, now I want you to go walk through the land. I want you to experience it firsthand because this is the land that I promise you. See, as Abram uh, listens to God, his future and his life become clearer. Right, like he didn't have clarity in chapter 12, but now it's getting more clear in chapter 13. And what that should show us is that that's the life of faith. That's the life of faith. You're not going to get all the answers up front. You're not going to get the GPS, right, direction here, this way to go. But you're going to get, as you follow God, as you trust God in faith, it's going to become clearer. But you got to take a step. And so just some takeaways as we um, look at today's text. And so the first one is this. You got a lot of, things that are bombarding you on a daily basis. So how do you listen for God's voice? Well, the first one is this. As we listen for God's voice, the first thing I want to tell you today is this. God's faithfulness over your failures. As you listen for God's voice, it's about God's faithfulness over your failures. As we look at the life of Abram, right, who returned back to the foundation of his faith, to the place where he first heard from God, what we see is that he starts to hear about God's faithfulness more than his failures. Right? It's God speaking to him saying, here's the things that I'm going to do in your life. But what happens many times to you and me? Many times, instead of going back to the foundation of being God and who he is and what he's done and what he can continue to do, we go back to our failures. 
We go back to our mistakes. We go back to the things that we have dropped the ball on. And we get so hung up on our failures that it just becomes overwhelming to us. You see, one of the things that I hear often as a pastor is this, and it sounds noble, but it's I can't forgive myself. I just can't forgive myself. All the things that I've done, all the failures that I've done. Look at me, I'm just such a huge failure before God. There's no way that God could ever forgive me. And I could never forgive myself. As noble as that sounds in some ways, what it does is this. It takes your forgiveness and makes it more important than God's forgiveness. Do you know the gospel of Jesus? says that we are forgiven in Jesus Christ, that we are made righteous, made right with God because of what Jesus has done for us, not because we cleaned up our lives, cleaned up our mess, made all of our failures and mistakes right with God, but that God did that all for us on the cross. And so what it should be is that God's forgiveness is more important than me forgiving myself. That God, that the God of the universe could forgive me. See, it's taking the eyes off of me and putting on to Christ what he's done. That's God's faithfulness over my failures. Charles Spurgeon said it well when he says this. He says, remember, therefore, it is not your hold of Christ that saves you. It is Christ. It is not your joy in Christ that saves you. It is Christ. It is not even faith in Christ, though that, may, that be the instrument it is Christ's blood and merits. Therefore, not so much to your look, not so much to your hand with which you are grasping Christ as to Christ. Look not to your hope, but to Jesus, the source of your hope. Look not to your faith, but to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. We shall never find happiness by looking at our prayers, our doings, or our feelings. It's what Jesus is, not what we are, that gives rest to our soul, to your soul. And here's the thing. It is holding tightly onto what Jesus has done and who he is that makes us who we are. Makes us who we are. Right, but so many times we are just so wrapped up in, it's all about me. And it's not. Second, contentment over consumption. Contentment over consumption. What we see here is as Abram is tested, right? He's tested with the idea of here's what more looks like. Here's what the more is. Everything's going up and to the right. This is what more looks like. He rejects it. He rejects it. He says, no, that's, that's not more. It's not the, the consumption of more, but it, what it was was this contentment in God. He was content in God and that everything that he had was from God. And so he's standing there as a person just purely by God's grace. Proverbs 38 through 9 gives us some really good insight on this. It says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. What this is telling us in Proverbs is that God is enough to fulfill us in every season of life. 
right? But, but yet there's something in us that tells us we need more. We need more, we need more, we need more. And so it's the idea that the world, the voices of the world is telling us this is what you need. But the voice of God is telling us you have everything you need. And will you look to God to be the one to find contentment in? Lastly, it's long-term over short-term. Long-term over short-term. Here's the thing. In verses 14 and 15, God is taking Abram to the highest point. And he's telling him, I want you to look over all this land. I want you to look over everything. He says, look around you, where you are, to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. And then God makes this promise to him. He says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be the one that's going to help you. Do you know where Lot is? As Abram's up here, Lot is in the valley. He's down here. And he's enjoying everything down here. But he's not able to see what only God can do up here. Right? As God is explaining this to Abram, what he's telling him is, here's the eternal perspective. Here's here's the long view. You don't see all the details to it, but there is a long view and there is a long-term goal and there is something that I'm doing that's much bigger than what you can see right now. But I'm going to tell you about it. But then where's Lot at? He's down here just enjoying the here and now. It's temporary. It's temporary. First Peter 5 tells us that God will lift us up in due time. You know, we suffer. There, there are things that we go through in life. But as we trust God in this long-term perspective, what we find is that the, this is the, the road less traveled. And that God will lift us up in due time. See, when God is truly in your life, there will be times that don't make sense. And you'll go through suffering. But here's the thing. When God is in your life, you'll look back and you'll say, God, your way was better. Even though I didn't understand it at the time. Even though I didn't see it at the time. Your way is better. See, here's the gospel. Here's the good news. You say, how could God continue to forgive Abram again and again and again? Because we're going to see it. Like, how can he make this type of promise to a guy who's just going to fail and fail and fail? How is it that he could do that? How can he take Abram to the highest place and say, it's going to be yours. This is the land. This is the, the people. All these things, it's going to be yours. How can he say that? What we know is 2,000 years ago, there was something that, that, that was similar that happened. You can find in Matthew 4, 8 through 10, here's what it says. It says again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. This is Jesus, showing Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And the devil says to Jesus, all this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. As Abram stands up there, 
he doesn't know this yet, but his offspring, see how it's singular? Offspring would be the one that walked the earth 2,000 years ago. And as God is showing Abram all of this land, all of the promises, all of the riches, he's saying, this is going to be yours. How is that possible? It's because God himself would come and pay the cost for it. He would pay the price that Abram never paid. He would would pay the ultimate price by going to the very cross that would carry our sin, our shame, our failures. Our failures. And he would pay for it all. And And so instead of saying, Abram, I'm going to give you what you deserve and you deserve none of this because you failed me time and time again. He says, I'll pay the cost for what it's going to take to give you the riches, the greatest blessing, and to have me in your life. See, what is the more? It's not more stuff. Abram had that already. The more was a relationship with the living God. And that Jesus Christ, who walked this earth 2,000 years ago, paid the ultimate cost so that you and I could have the riches of God. The riches of God, the more of God, the way he defines it. Not the way the world does, the way he does. And so you find your hope in Jesus today. It's better than anything. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that no longer do we have to look at ourselves and our failures and our mistakes, but we can look at the cross and know that they've all been paid for by the blood of Christ. And that now, because of what you've done, because you said no, you could have made it all about you, but you didn't. You said no to all the splendors because that was temporary. And you followed through all the way to the cross and said yes to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We can have the more of eternal life with you because of what Jesus has done for us. So help us to see Jesus more clearly today. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.